Who was Joseph historically? And what does his life teach us today? Let's pop the top on this. Cue the music. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the only one. Pick up your sword, gather your What's up, guys and gals? You're listening to another episode of That Philly Faith Podcast. I'm Carl. I'm Chris. And I'm Ronnie. Chris has a joke for us, I think. Yes, I do. So, I'm going to start off strong today. I'm excited. <laughs> why doesn't Jesus wear jewelry? Why doesn't he wear That's jewelry? Twister. Yeah, why doesn't he wear jewelry? They <laughs> said wield jewelry for a second. <laughs> like a weapon. <laughs> like a weapon, no. <laughs> I, can, I can answer Sorry. that question. I don't think that was. Wow, wear jewelry. I don't know. Do you know? Can you can you ruin this for me? I've heard it before, but it's not coming to me, so I won't ruin it this all time. Because right. <laughs> Jesus breaks all the chains. Oh, that's good. <laughs> but that's good. <laughs> what about rings? Well, come on now. <laughs> it's a simple question. <laughs> Do I have to explain it? Because that's what makes it funny if you have to explain it. That's true. Yeah, I'm running things. <laughs> you guys learned anything this week? Spirit been teaching anything? Any cool stories? Mm, nothing that's kind of come to fruition. Hey, you um, coming on that parable, by the way? You know, I've come to realize that I'm not a good writer, so it's taken a while, but we're working on it. I like it. How about you? Nothing for me, really. Ronnie warned us that he's he just came <laughs> off a lot of working. Yeah, yeah. So, so you might get tired, Ronnie, this time. That's all right. I think I, you might get cranky, Chris, today. <laughs> cranky, I just, Chris. I just, <laughs> That's going to stick. I just, I just came off of like four days of eating from, from the holidays. You're cranky so. for that? Oh, yeah. If I don't eat, I get cranky real bad. So If you don't eat? Yeah, like today. Did I you mean, eat a lot? Why, why are I you mean, cranky I now? I haven't ate a whole bunch today like I had been the last oh, four days. Oh, gotcha. I see. I so, see. So well, it feels yeah. like you haven't eaten. Yeah. 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 I want you to start introducing yourself as Cranky Chris. Cranky from now Chris. <laughs> I don't know. I, most days I can't pull that off, but you know, sometimes it gets to that point. You need a Snickers? No, I'm good for right now. <laughs> <laughs> Might hit up something on the way home, though. We'll see. Well, he's been laying a lot on me this week, but some of it I'm not really ready to share. It's really been hitting me a lot with the difference between being a slave and being a son, right? Mm-hmm. And that I think that there's a different covenant for each. That's a teaser. I kind of have a series planned after our Malachi journey <laughs> whenever we round back around to that. Yeah. But I don't want to get too too much into that when I'm ready to share that and make everybody mad at me then I will because I don't think it's going to be it's going to be a tough pill to swallow, I think. But this week's been a week of confirmations for me, but that's not really saying a lot. Right. <laughs> it's like every week anymore. Mm-hmm. But do you remember last week I shared that sort of miraculous story? about that Sunday in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, yeah, because so it has to do with that, but do you remember your response to why Jacob had the limp? It just right. popped into your head. Yeah, because so to be, he had the limp to, was it well? To, your like, response, that, like why did he give him the limp? You why did said? he pop his place, or his hip out of place? Was so he couldn't run away. Yeah, so he couldn't right. run away. That was what just popped into your head. This connection didn't hit me until later. And when it did hit me, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Okay, so there was a part of that story from that Sunday that I didn't share. So that morning, 
Will and I were getting ready, right? We were getting ready to, to leave and head down to Kensington. Mm-hmm. And just out of nowhere, he turns around and he asks me, would you run away if you were in danger down there? And I kind of got like a deer in headlights look because I didn't really know how to answer it at first, mm-hmm. you know, because it just took me off guard. And he told me a story as a, as a follow-up to explain why he was asking that the last time he used to go with a group of guys that went to different cities to preach, right? Not just Philadelphia. And at one point, one of the guys asked him, how do you, how do you run? How well do you run? Because he's an older guy. He's in his 60s. And he's like, well, I've been doing concrete my whole life and I'm in my 60s, so as good as I can, <laughs> you know, but I don't know how well it is. If I have to, I can run. And they brought it, they were like, you know, well, you know, it's kind of dangerous down there and it, there's a possibility we might have to run, you know, if we get attacked or something. And he was like, I'll be honest with you guys, I'm probably not going to, you know, I feel like God's sending me down there. And it, if it's to be a martyr, that's what, that's what it's going to be, right. you know? And I, that was my answer to him after he explained that. I'm like, yeah, I've, I kind of already went through this in my mind that I know it's dangerous, you know, and if 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 he puts me in a situation where I get killed, if it leads to someone finding Jesus out of it, then that's a win, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I'm really, I don't, I was like, I don't think I have it in me to run, you know? Yeah. And then that event happened, right? Right. You know, where we were clearly in danger, something wasn't right, but we didn't run. And it just hit me, like like when I, when I, I was talking to Steph, my wife, about the recording and about what you said. That's when it hit me. I'm like, oh my goodness, that correlation. He gave him the limp so he couldn't run away, right? Right. And then today, I'm reading my devotion, one of the three I have. I know you have a lot more, Ronnie. You do like 100 a day, but I have three. (laughs) So I'm reading mine, and it's about the Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the even if. Right. Mm-hmm. And essentially what they say is we know our God can. We trust that our God will. But even if he doesn't, we're going to serve him. And that's sort of the situation I feel like he put us in. Like, I know he can deliver us. Mm-hmm. I trust that he will. But you know what? Even if he doesn't, I'm ready to lay it down for him. You know, I'm not going to run away from it. I don't know. It just it was pretty awesome. Like the, right. the, the correlation, the connection there that made me think a lot deeper about what had happened and maybe why for me individually, it was pretty cool. Yeah. And I think the reminder for all of us is, you know, like Daniel, chapter three, this isn't just a story in a book, right? Our God, he's not just words on a page. Mm-hmm. He's active, you know, and if he's willing to do something like that, then he's willing to do something like that now. Like I believe he did for us in Philadelphia. He can do that for you too. It's just about stepping out and believing in it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Pretty cool stuff. The other one was that last week's episode about the limp. You remember that I was a day late on uploading it, mm-hmm. right? So I was, I usually upload on Fridays, but the holidays kind of messed up my schedule a little bit. So I didn't upload till the next day. So Saturday. So the devotion for that day, for Saturday, the day I uploaded that, starts with this. After Prem Pradham's plane was shot down during world war ii he was wounded while parachuting to safety did you read have you is this one of the devotions you do i think i've done it before yeah okay as a result he walked with a limp for the rest of his life that was the first sentence in that (laughs) devotion on the day that i uploaded that episode i just thought that was so cool 
But that's an awesome story. Like he goes on to like be a missionary, right? Mm -hmm. And he's a missionary, I think, in the Himalayas. And he made a joke about that. You know, why would God, you know, call somebody like me? You can he's a gimp, <laughs> barely walk around to to be a missionary in the mountains. And he ended up reaching out to to people. I think it was I think it was in the Himalayas. And they were very hostile toward Christianity. And he ended up spending like ten out of fifteen years in prison, where he, you know, reached inmates there and prison guards converted them and they brought they brought the gospel to their home people too you know which is an awesome reminder that you know even when it feels like we're at rock bottom down and out we may be there to serve god's will mm -hmm. and that's sort of a perfect segue into our topic today which is joseph given the time spent in prison mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and this was actually a topic that i asked you guys if you had topic ideas to let me know right and Ronnie, you like came came right back not too long later with you'd like to dig into Joseph sometime. So I'm going to turn the episode over to you and let you take over. Awesome. <laughs> well, let's go. Um, that's the end of the podcast. So <laughs> no. This has been a good, good, good one this week, fellas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but in all seriousness, no, why, why Joseph? Like, oh, like asking you, you know, you know, topic ideas that would interest you. And that's like the, the first one that you mentioned. I think during that time that we were three discussing that it was one of my many devotions as you yeah. point out that I was doing and on surface Joseph seemed like a B C D mm -hmm. but that devotion brought out that there were so many different layers and or colors of coat yeah perfect see nice. what i did there Chris? yeah that was I proud it, yeah all right i got you i'm with you so it takes a while but i catch up so there was just different <laughs> aspects like the whole his whole story runs the gambit of everything of emotion from brothers hating him because he's a brat to being the slave to coming back and being merciful even though he doesn't want to be right like just every account has different meanings to it or things that you can pluck out and teachings from it. Joseph might have more symbolism buried in his account than any other single figure in the entire text. Yeah. Mm -hmm. there, there's a lot to, to Joseph as a person. He is pretty fascinating. We obviously can't get to that said, we can't get to everything about Joseph because it is a long account and there is a lot to, to dissect. So we're going to look at specific individual accounts you know, three, three specifically that I really want to want to look into. But just to summarize, would you be able to like, like just briefly summarize the life of Joseph, like the, the main points or would you prefer I do that? Either or. Yeah, go I ahead. <clears throat> so just was, so Pete, like just to not to interrupt, just so those of you listening have like an understanding, if you haven't read it before, of just like the foundation of, of who Joseph is and, you know, his journey. Yeah. So. And you can edit this if I'm wrong, then. It's not chronologically. <laughs> I'm just over here like, oh, I'm glad I didn't <laughs> Pick a little new guy. <laughs> no, there was, um, Joseph was the f one of the favorites, I would say, of his father. And I think uh, one of the main stories that kids and Sunday school teachers talk about is the coat of many colors, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so he brags about that. And showing that off. And then he has dreams that one day his family, or more important, like his brothers will bow down to him. Mm -hmm. And he, and then, so how's his brothers react to that? Like, 
you're telling me that my youngest brother is going to be the boss of me. That'll never happen. So yeah. Then, and like any rational sibling, they try to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they were going to sell him to, or they, they were going to kill him. Yeah. They, they were, were going to kill, kill him. him. Yeah. And, and then they put him in the pit. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll actually read that. Genesis 37 is what we're going to read. And that, that gets into his, his dream and them selling him right. into slavery. And they weren't all bad. Cause one was like, Hey, why don't we just sell him into slavery? Let's not kill him. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad yeah. will get mad then. Yeah. I think it was, was it Reuben that, that said cast him into the pit and we'll figure out what to do with him. Reuben after. wanted to rescue him. Mm-hmm. And oh, okay. Judah, Judah suggested selling him over killing him. Okay. Right. right on. Yeah. And then, so they sold him into slavery to Egypt and in slavery, he came up to be the governor, I guess, as what we would call them mm-hmm. today. Yeah, and we'll get into that in the history. I have some of the history notes on his position, but yeah, yeah. The second of the house, and basically all of Egypt mm-hmm. too. And to, mm-hmm. to just to mention, to, before he gets there, he's a servant to Potiphar because yeah. we won't get into that account. But right. he was a servant of Potiphar, and his wife tried to seduce him, and Joseph ran, and she accused him of rape. Yeah, mm-hmm. and as a result, he gets sent to prison, and so yeah. he sends. He's, I can't remember how many years he spent in prison. It was it's a long time. It was a long time, and of course, interpreting dreams mm-hmm. is what ended up getting him out of prison. So. Yeah, and his cellmate was like, "Yeah, if I get out of here, I'll remember you," and yeah, doesn't for a while, but then yeah, then he becomes the second in charge, say, and he's an, an outsider, basically. Yeah, and then. Famine hits his home, his home town, state, whatever you want to call it at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then his brothers come to get grain and everything from him. And like in that moment, he had to, I think it's three accounts that he confronts his brothers with the wrong heart and his emotions overwhelm him and he has to walk away and cry. Yeah. And then it's heartbreaking to read it. Yeah, Yeah. it is. And and then one of the stipulations, because they told him that they lost one and then the younger brother stayed at home. And it was just I think it came off flippantly how they passed him off as dead. Like it was just like Mm -hmm. let's skirt around it. And so my feeling for in the Joseph account was that he was worried about his younger brother too. So that's why he wanted him there. Right. And the, the younger brother, Benjamin was his full brother. Yes. Also it was yeah. his only full brother. Like his Rachel only had two. Right. So it was, but wasn't he considered like the second favorite too? I don't know if it says that. It says specifically Joseph was the favorite, okay. and that was probably yeah. because he was the oldest. Okay. Or he was the oldest from Rachel, and Rachel was the only wife that Jacob loved. Okay. Yeah. So he he favored him. And how he ch- and then Joseph tricked the brothers because he gave the money back for mm-hmm. the grain that he gave them, and then he told Joseph told his servant. Isn't this crazy? Because he's a servant that raises in the power, and then he has a servant. That's nuts. Yeah. To put the silver goblet, I think, or whatever it was, in Benjamin's bag. Mm -hmm. So that way he can see how his brothers react to when they find that and knowing that basically it got 
I don't know. You're going to have to edit a lot of this out. No, no, you're doing great, man. Like, <laughs> I think it was his excuse to keep Benjamin. I think he wanted Benjamin to stay. So I think he used that as a as a pretense yeah. to accomplish that. It's it's a fascinating account yeah. throughout. Like there's, yeah. like I say, there's so much to it. And it's, then with that, you saw his older brother, how his heart had changed because of the promise that he made to his dad mm-hmm. that Benjamin would come back. Or he wouldn't go back. Yeah, he was willing to sacrifice himself, essentially, to... to With all those years mm-hmm. before, Joseph, if we lost him in the woods, quote-unquote, yeah. then yeah, we lost him in the woods. Him. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, that's... It, like I said, there's so many different layers that... Yeah, there's that a lot. On. There's a lot. There's a lot of foreshadowing of Jesus in there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of prophecy. There's a lot of promises fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I would add to the, the famine he predicted through, that was how he got out of prison was the Pharaoh had a dream yeah. that troubled him. He didn't understand it. Nobody could interpret the dream for him. And Joseph did. So he predict, he predicted the seven years of plenty and then the seven years of famine. Yes. And, yes. Yeah. And Pharaoh, that's how he got the position of power that he did. Cause Pharaoh wanted him to control their, their grain, yeah. their resources. And I also skipped over the part that, when they came for grain, they were bowed down in front yeah. of Joseph. So yeah. his dream had come true as well. Yeah, quite literally. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, I just wanted to kind of briefly go through that because we're not going to be able to, like I say, it would take several episodes to actually read through all those accounts and, and dissect and them properly, it, yeah. which we might do in the future. Like say there's a specific part that I want to get into. But this first half, I want to kind of focus on the history, the 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 historical accuracy of Joseph, I should say, because uh, secular historians and archaeologists reject that he existed outright. Part of it is because of the, you know, some of the things we mentioned, the more supernatural aspects of his life. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're not believers, so they reject that, which is a little bit hypocritical because when you read the historical accounts of figures like Alexander the Great, for example, they outright claim that he was half God. <laughs> you know what I mean? That he yeah. was... Well, dipped in no, no, he wasn't dipped in the river stakes. They they claimed that his mother had relations with a with one of the Greek gods and bore Alexander, you know. And there's there's supernatural claims made at the point that Alexander died. Point is, I don't believe that stuff. The point is, they don't reject the historicity of Alexander, but they do Joseph. But in fairness to them, part of why they reject his historicity is because the if if Joseph reigned in Egypt at a position as high as he did, right? You should find his name. Mm-hmm. And they're looking for the name Joseph, but they're not finding it. They're not finding any account of Joseph in the historical record of Egypt. So their claim is it's not there, therefore he didn't live. I don't believe, though, that his name was accounted as Joseph there, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about a different culture with a different language. They're looking for Joseph, but I think there is a figure this in the historical account. And I think there's too many parallels to ignore. Have you guys heard of uh, an ancient Egyptian named Imhotep? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Most people have. Very similarly to Joseph, for a very long time, secular historians rejected that he actually existed. For one thing, he was deified after his death, unfortunately. But that's just sort of the culture of Egypt. They deified a lot, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. But the only accounts that they really had were him as a god. They hadn't found any actual historical accounts of him as an actual person, just sort mm-hmm. of the legends. Mm-hmm. Until it was in 1926, 
and they found fragments of a statue in Saqqara. And the inscription read, Imhotep, Chancellor of the King of Lower Egypt, Chief under the King, Administrator of the Great Palace, Hereditary Lord, High Priest of Heliopolis. We can kind of dissect a couple of those things, but after that, they stopped rejecting that he existed. Right? This was historical proof that Imhotep lived. Mm-hmm. Right? He was vicier, which would be second in command, mm-hmm. of a pharaoh named Djoser. Right? And Djoser was an Egyptian third dynasty pharaoh, roughly in 1700 BC, I think is roughly when it was, and that would correlate with Joseph. So the parallels between the two are just stunning. So first off, the seven-year famine, right? They found two inscriptions in Egyptian temples. Okay, and I'm sorry if I'm boring any of you listening. I love this stuff. So you're going to have to learn to love it too with me (laughs) because this stuff is fascinating to me. And I think it's good to, to dive into this stuff because they will use these things as weapons to try to damage your faith. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll, they'll claim this person never lived. It's, it's, it's not recorded historically. The historical record disagrees with the Bible. Therefore, your faith is wrong. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with proving that it's right. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I have absolute faith in the biblical account, but there's nothing wrong with proving that the biblical account is accurate. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And I think this is important, especially with Joseph, because they worked very hard to try to disprove his existence. And I, I think they're looking in the wrong place, or maybe they're intentionally not connecting the dots here. Mm-hmm. The dots are too obvious not to connect. So they found two inscriptions at two separate Egyptian temples for two different Egyptian gods. Okay. And they describe Joseph having a troubling dream. That's how the inscription starts. He had, a, he had a dream that deeply disturbed him, didn't know what it meant. So he consulted, it, and the inscription reads that he consulted with Imhotep, who consulted with his god, that was his response. I have to I have to consult with my God to see what the meaning is. Exactly what the biblical account states. Mm-hmm. Joseph said, I have to consult with Yahweh. And we'll see what he says. And then he accurately predicted seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. That's what these inscriptions say. Two different inscriptions, one on the island of Seal Hill and one on the island of Philae. The only difference is that they reverse the the plenty with the famine. So in the biblical account, the the years of plenty came first. And then the famine came secondary. The inscriptions on these temples reversed that. And I think they did it playing politics. So they were, these temples were each dedicated to two separate deities. Mm -hmm. And they were, they made the inscriptions to justify land claims that they had. Right. And the, the, they claimed that the God he consulted was their God. And that their God answered by, giving years of plenty after the famine, therefore their land claims were accurate. So I think I think you can differentiate between the alterations they made mm-hmm. for their own political games mm-hmm. gains. Or yeah, for, for their own political political right. means with the actual account. Yeah. Right? But the 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 details of the biblical account are all there. Mm-hmm. Right? right? The a troubling dream, Emotep consults his God accurately predicts the seven years of plant, plenty and seven years of famine, and he, he receives position because of it. Right. right. It's almost identical. Second thing is his name. This is pretty fascinating to me. So Imhotep in ancient Egyptian translates as the voice of the god Aim is what that name actually means. There is no Egyptian god in any accounting anywhere of a god named Aim. Nowhere. In the entire Egyptian pan- pantheon, no god with that name exists. 
No one worshipped him. There was no temple to him, anything. Only in the name Imhotep. It's debatable. I believe that I'm was the Egyptian rendering of Aye in Hebrew, which literally means I am. I think what his, what his name essentially means is the voice of the God I am. I think that's just how that, that name rendered over into ancient Egypt. And the reason they don't know what it means, like historians, they don't know what I'm means, right? Mm-hmm. They don't know what God is in reference to. And I think it's because they're not looking for the right one. They're, they're exclusively looking at the Egyptian pantheon and not looking outside of Egypt. Right. Mm-hmm. Where we get I am from is in Exodus 3. That's how God revealed himself to Moses. Mm-hmm. What I find interesting is that he tells Moses this. He tells them that I am, right, A-A, that's who I am. I am who I am. And then he specifically tells him to introduce himself as a servant of I am to Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. This would have been centuries after Joseph, right? Right. If the Egyptians knew him as Imhotep, right, the voice of the God, I am, as I believe, it makes sense as to why Yahweh would tell, instead of telling him his name Yahweh, mm-hmm. he would tell him, this is how they know me. So introduce yourself this way, because they'll know what God you represent and they'll be afraid of it. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. That's what I believe. Interestingly, too, in the biblical account, we're told that Joseph's name was as given to him by Pharaoh. So it says that Pharaoh renamed him. And it says that his name was Zaphanath Paniah. I think historians are looking for that specific name in the Egyptian account. I think that's a Hebrew rendering, though. I think that's a Hebrew rendering of the Egyptian name that they gave him. I believe in Egyptian, it's Imhotep. And when you look at the meaning, I think it correlates. So in Hebrew, that Zaphanath Paniah literally translates as the God lives, the God speaks. So think about that for a second. I am can essentially mean he lives. And the voice of can essentially be the same as saying he speaks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So these two names are essentially conveying the exact same message. The voice of the God I am or the God lives and the God speaks. It's the same name, just rendered differently in two different languages. Right. Right. The second or the third, I guess this is a third connection that I made is him as a physician. So Imhotep was said to be a great physician, right? That was one of the, the kind of legends about him. He's actually the earliest physician with surviving historical records that we have. And Joseph isn't specifically called a physician in the biblical account, but in Genesis chapter 50, verse 2, it says, quote, Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, end quote. Now, why would he have servants under him specifically as physicians? Like, it sounds like he had doctors that were servants under him, mm-hmm. which would imply that he was like a leader of the physicians, mm-hmm. right? I think we have a, a correlation there. Like I say, we don't have anything in the biblical account that specifically talks about him being a physician. We just know that he was very wise, right? Right, And, and he was very learned. We know that from the account. So it kind of makes sense. We have that correlation. Here's what's fascinating, though. So after Imhotep was posthumously, posthumously deified, which obviously it's... Not optimal if they turned him into a god, right? Right. But the way in which he was honored is fascinating. So, and, and by the way, I think that he knew that he was going to be deified. I think that's why he wanted his body taken when they left. I think that was one of the underlying reasons why Joseph instructed to have his bones taken with them when they left Egypt. 
because it's just a reality of Egyptian culture, mm-hmm. right? When when right. leaders died, they deified them, and I don't think he wanted that, right? So I think he was trying to make it as difficult as possible. Side note: Emotep's tomb has never been found. They've never found a tomb of Inhotep or his body anywhere. And a figure that high and that esteemed, so esteemed that he was deified, you would think that they would have... be on a show somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. I think what happened is his body was taken by his own people and they just repurposed his tomb for somebody else. I think it's probably what happened. But anyway, so his... Emotep was revered as a healer god, right? Because he was a great physician. They would receive healing so this is what's interesting to me his devotees would actually go to his temple his temple is located in memphis egypt they would pray they would make offerings and then they would sleep in his sanctuary so that they'd be visited in a dream and healed there so his healing was directly connected with dreams which is very unique Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so it's not just that he's like revered as this healer god He's also revered revered as a healer god, specifically attached to dreams for some reason, right? And when you read the Joseph account, he rose to power because of interpreting dreams, right? He was sold in Egypt to begin with because he was given dreams. Like, everything around Joseph surrounds God speaking him to him directly through dreams, right? right? And again, I'm not advocating for the deification. Right. Don't mistake, you know, don't mistake why I'm fascinated with this. It's not because... It's good what they were doing, right. but I think it further connects Imhotep with Joseph. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think it's worth looking at. And your 46 pages of notes. Yes. Do you have that? You can hear me flipping uh, them. No, I'm just busted. <laughs> no, I wasn't going to hide it. The Menhotep also didn't look like the rest of the Egyptian people, too, right? Right. Because that's one of the famous things, too, mm-hmm. or his distinct. That might be in your notes. It is. Okay. Oh, yeah. I didn't, I'm glad you mentioned it. <laughs> because I, I'm a history buff, too. And Fantastic. I knew that, but I'd never put two and two together or even thought of connecting dots or whatever until you brought it up. And right. That's why you kind of saw that light bulb go off in my head. And I was like, I know this one. Right. I'm <laughs> not coming to class late. <laughs> yes. It's, dude, it's exciting stuff. Like I, like, I find this stuff fascinating. And I think it makes you wonder how many other figures that, secularists reject biblically are actually connected with other individuals whose names are just rendered differently in different languages like we have to remember they spoke hebrew right right and that that, you know names rendered different that's why that's for example that's how we get jesus there's no such name as jesus in hebrew it's yeshua you know what i mean well you transliterate a name through different languages like we did through greek and latin and english naturally innocently it comes to jesus you know it's the same with joseph i think it was just you know like joseph was renamed they accounted his renaming in Hebrew, and then the way it actually appears in Greek, or in ancient Egyptian is different. And, you know, we don't really even fully understand ancient Egyptian. That's part of the problem with, with studying ancient Egyptian history is it's, it's a dead language that hasn't been spoken out loud in centuries. So it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when you're dealing with a language that you can't just talk to somebody mm-hmm. to get the phonetics on. It's really, really difficult when you're dealing with a dead language that hasn't been spoken. Honestly, that's part of the problem with Hebrew, too. Hebrew, we have a modern version of Hebrew. But we have to remember, Hebrew was a dead language for a long time. Mm -hmm. And the modern version of Hebrew may not be the same as what they spoke, for example, in Joseph's day. Like the way they pronounced things, the way they said things, the way word Hebrew is very difficult. There are certain passages in in the Old Testament that are very difficult to translate. 
like people take it, think it's such a flippant thing. This translation did get it right. This translation did get it right. I don't think you understand how hard Hebrew is to translate, especially ancient Hebrew like that. Right. So, so that's a rabbit show chase for me. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I had, I had and, and oh, your, go ahead. No, go your ahead. point of renaming him, like, why wouldn't they want to? Right. Especially being an outsider or not from their culture. Mm hmm. He's property now. And so you want to erase that, right? Yeah. The winners get to write the book, not the right. losers. You want to make a claim on them. So, you know, we see that frequently. This would happen with Daniel. Right. And, you know, Shadrach may take yeah. an Abednego. I was just going to say that those, those were the names that were yeah. given to him. And we talked about that as, as part of their assimilation was they take on mm -hmm. the names of the, of the country they were taken to and they, they learn their culture and, mm -hmm. Especially when you were put in positions in their government. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They Like they want, you know, they would take special pains to assimilate you then because you represent, you represent their people group at that point. It's, right. It's, it's you a might fair look different, thing. but at least you have our same name. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's an easier pill to swallow. Well, and Joseph was probably assimilated pretty effective. And, and, you know, not all assimilations are sin, right? So right, it's yeah. just cultural things. But, you know, you were summarizing the account. His brothers didn't even recognize him. Right. And look, he was 17 years old when he got sold. So he was, it, it's was not like he was 30 years old or 30 years later. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but he wouldn't have, you know, at he 17. He wouldn't have changed so much that you wouldn't recognize your own brother. Exactly. So it had to have been his manner of dress and makeup and, you know, like the, the way he was put on as an Egyptian. That's mm -hmm. probably why they didn't recognize him. Mm -hmm. Like, I have to think that, that in their minds would think, man, you look vaguely familiar. You know what I mean? Or you have very similar features, but. I right. can't be you. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's not like he was wearing the same clothing. It's not like he was grooming himself in the same way. His hair would have been different. Everything would have been different. I imagine even his accent might have even changed being being away yeah. from his homeland for so long. Correct. I don't think he spoke I mean, to him in their native language, did he? I think he hid the fact that he could yeah, speak. Yeah, he hid their, it. Their, he was had, speaking Egyptian. And he had his translator yeah. talk to them in their native tongue. That's right. But also add another layer to that of their guilt. So they weren't even yeah. expecting it to be him mm -hmm. because of their guilt. Mm -hmm. So you have that whole perfect storm there. Well, I don't, if I remember right, they they didn't even directly sell him to Egypt. They sold him to right. traveling traveling slave merchants. I think mm -hmm. they were actually Ishmaelites. Right. So they wouldn't they wouldn't have known for sure that he would yeah. have ended up in Egypt. And even if they did, they sold him as a slave. Like, yeah. No, logically, you wouldn't think that a, a person you, with this yeah. power. And How'd his you fame. Get in Pharaoh's court, mm -hmm. and but yeah, he couldn't go online and get a twenty-four or twenty-three and Me kit and make sure that it's there. <laughs> Google, where's my brother? Right, right. Yeah, it's just fascinating that even so, his account even is fascinating. But even them going through the famine and then being placed at his feet mm -hmm. and like their journey is even just as fascinating to yeah. me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a worthy study on its own right is, yeah. is the brothers. The and it's brothers. like I always say, there's no such thing as coincidences, right? So <laughs> right, that's a lot of coincidences happening right there to yeah. line up. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, yeah. A hundred things had to line up mm -hmm. in Joseph's Perfect. Perfectly, yeah, perfectly to get him to where he was mm -hmm. and to get them there when well, they needed to think be back, there. Like when he was in the jail, right? If his cellmate didn't take that long coming back like it mm -hmm. might have not even lined up that way yeah mm -hmm. who knows where joseph would have ended up if he had been released earlier right you know what i mean but it wasn't time yet right. it wasn't god's time yet he needed to be there 
for when Pharaoh had his dreams, who he could elevate him higher. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that just kind of like it slots in perfectly for what we the running theme for the podcast for a while. The underlying theme is there's no coincidences right, with yeah. God. There's no coincidences. No. You see these confirmations and you th- see these things lining up. It's God orchestrating that, and, and only God could orchestrate that. Right. And I think it's how, however hard you fight against that, if it's God's will, mm-hmm. there's no fighting it. His brothers did everything mm-hmm. they could to ensure that his dream, that Joseph's dream from God, didn't come true. Right. And years later, yeah. it did. Yeah. As well, hard fought as it was, it happened. And what's funny about it is, is it was there. <laughs> it was their working toward making it not come to pass that actually made it come even mm-hmm. harder. And yes. More. Yeah. It, it, that's essentially what pushed the boulder down the hill. Yeah. You know, he's going to cause it one way or the other and there's no fighting it. He's not going to let you run. Right. Right. <laughs> one way or the other. Yep. So the three more points that I had just to, just additional details to connect Imhotep with Joseph and then we'll get into the biblical account. Uh, Imhotep was actually appointed later in Pharaoh's reign. Which is unusual. Typically, pharaohs like positions like this. When they started their reign, they would appoint they would appoint these higher officials right away. But that's not what happened with Imhotep. Uh, he was he, the inscriptions early in Joser's reign don't mention him at all. Like he's not mentioned anywhere. It's not until the latter half of his reign that you see these inscriptions with Imhotep show up. And given the fame that Imhotep had, if he had been there early, they would have mentioned him. Or they even would have went back and inscribed it or something. They, they never did. They never mentioned him at all in any of the earlier records. It's only later. And we know that when Joseph interpreted the dream of Pharaoh, we don't know how long Pharaoh had ruled, but he'd already been on the throne for a while. This was the same Pharaoh that that individual you mentioned in the prison. It was actually the, it was the cupbearer and the baker mm-hmm. of the Pharaoh. He got angry with them, and he cast them into the prison. And they each had a dream. One had a dream of being restored. And the other had a dream of having his head chopped off. Mm-hmm. Can't remember which was which. I think the cupbearer got restored and the baker got executed, right. I believe. And it was the it's the one that was restored that was supposed to let Pharaoh know, hey, <laughs> this guy, this guy interpreted this dream, but he didn't. The reason Pharaoh knew about Joseph was when he had his dream, the cupbearer then remembered, was mindful of Joseph again and told him about it. So then he brought Joseph out. Point is, this was the same Pharaoh. So there was a couple years gap here, I believe. Yeah. And it's the same Pharaoh, and that correlates with the historical account of Imhotep, because Pharaoh had already been on the throne for a while, probably already had a vice here. I think, I think with that account, the cupbearer and the baker account, mm-hmm. I think, it, and then he comes back, I think it's five to seven years. Okay. If I'm not. So a pretty decent stretch. Yeah. So we have a pretty decent stretch where the same Pharaoh was on the throne without, without Joseph as vice here. Right? right? I think, is that how you say that word? Vice here? V-I-Z-I-E-R. Sarah, if you're listening, let me know if I'm wrong. You're the grammar <laughs> nut. So <laughs> I think it's vice here. But, you know, and what's interesting, he, he probably already had one, right? Yeah. Which it, we're not told this, but it tells me that he deposed whoever he had and put Joseph there instead. Maybe he didn't have one. I don't know. But I would think he were, would have already had one. Point is, Joseph Joseph comes out of prison, interprets the dream. Then Pharaoh appoints him as vice here midway through his reign. That's exactly what the historical account implies about Imhotep. At some point late in Joser's reign, that's when Imhotep is is put in this position. Mm-hmm. Again, direct correlation with the biblical account. It's just layer on layer. If it was only one or two of these, I'd say maybe that's coincidence. Mm-hmm. But it's not. Like it's it's almost every aspect of Imhotep's life that we know about 
direct directly correlates with Joseph, the outsider thing that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Normally, viceers were family members. Typically, what happened when a pharaoh became pharaoh? That's just the the Egyptian word for their king, right? Mm-hmm. When someone became pharaoh, when they appointed these high officials, it was typically family members. And since Vicer was such a high position, it's literally the second in command, it was almost always the Pharaoh's son. Almost always. Never an outsider. But inscriptions indicate that Imhotep was not in the royal family. And Joseph was obviously a foreigner too. So, like, the inscriptions about Imhotep imply that he was a foreigner entirely. But for sure, nothing indicates that he was part of Joseph's actual family line. Again, direct correlation with Joseph. Right? Mm-hmm. And on top of him not being a family member, the fact that he was a foreigner and put in this position, that's very unusual. Because mm-hmm. the rare. Egyptians, yeah, it's rare for any government, ancient government. The Egyptians were kind of notoriously bigoted. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when they developed their bigotry toward the Hebrews, but they hated the Hebrews. Like it was even, it was even illegal to consort with uh, like Hebrew uh, shepherds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And actually, is a rabbit chase. Uh, some historians actually believe that when that, it was law, it was Egyptian law not to consort at all with Hebrew shepherds. Some historians believe that when the, roughly the time period when that law came into existence was after Abraham went through and half lied about his wife. Right. Sarah was his, his yeah. half sister, mm-hmm. but he just claimed her as sister, not wife. So the Pharaoh took her into his court because he wanted to marry her. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, God gives that dream, like, hey, you do this, yeah. I'm going to cut you down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Better not yeah. do it. And the Pharaoh's like, I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Like, I didn't know. Right. And he panics, so he gives Sarah back, chastises Abraham for, for lying to him. him. Yep. Mm-hmm. And because Abraham didn't trust at that time. One of, the, one of the most rare occasions where Abraham wasn't really doing the right thing, right. you know? Yep. Anyway, long story short, since Abraham on his way, blesses him as much as he can so that Yahweh won't be mad at him anymore. I think that might be when that law started mm-hmm. to protect, because I think Pharaoh panicked. I think he panicked about what almost happened, you know, when they actually had the sense to have some fear of Yahweh mm-hmm. and then instituted that law. Point is, that was before Joseph. So there was some animosity between those two groups leading up to this, and still Joseph is put into a position of high power, and so is Imhotep. Right. It's the same person, right. I believe. And just like um, it also explains why... They bought Joseph mm-hmm. out of the lot or the group of slaves that could have been in that group. You know, you could have had different cultural people, but hey, how about this one? Yeah. Because we already don't like them anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. My last point is, if you remember that in the description, it said that he was priest of Heliopolis. Mm-hmm. So... This is fascinating to me. This is my last point, and then we'll move on from it. I'll stop stop torturing you with the history. <laughs> it's all fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's so great. I could do this all day. So Imhotep was priest of Heliopolis. Heliopolis is own, O-N, own in the biblical Hebrew. Genesis 41, 41, 40, I, I talk, I noticed that too. Side note, I talk way too fast. Sometimes I'm hard to understand on a certain other podcast, Broken Record Ministries. <laughs> I need to slow it down. Sorry. Genesis 41, 45 says, Pharaoh gave Joseph Asenath as a wife, the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On. End quote. Again, On is Heliopolis. So her father, the father of his wife, was the priest of Heliopolis. 
if he didn't have a direct heir or a son, and there's no indication that he did, we don't know, then it stands to reason that his son-in-law would elevate to his position on his death. And if he was already priest of Heliopolis, Joseph is married to Asnath, his daughter. When Potiphar dies, what does Joseph become? High priest of Heliopolis. Exactly what we're told Imhotep was. And I know that the inclination is, well, he wouldn't serve as a high priest in a foreign country as foreign gods. That position was actually honorary. So the, the, the place where they serve as that position, you weren't actually serving as a priest of a specific god. It was just a, a, an honorific title mm -hmm. that you carried. So ostensibly, Joseph could have held this title and taught the people about Yahweh. You know what I mean? Right. Or just taught his wisdom or just served as a physician. Mm -hmm. It was literally just an honorific title, mm -hmm. right? Like a knight. Yeah, like a knight. Say, I was exactly about to say, like, putting sir in front of your name. Yeah. yeah. So, again, we have this just on-the-nose correlation between what the historical record says about Imhotep and what the, the biblical account leads us to believe about Joseph. Like I said, we're not told he was high priest of, of Owen or Heliopolis, but context. Eventually, her father's going to die, mm -hmm. and that, that puts him in line. And even if he did have another heir, it's, it's an honorific title. And honorific titles are given based upon prestige. There was nobody more prestigious other than Pharaoh, than Imhotep, mm -hmm. right? Or Joseph. So even if he had an heir, if Joseph, the great Joseph, the great Imhotep, world-renowned, savior of the world, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Based upon, you know... Seer his, of dreams, whatever. Seer of dreams, everything. All these things that he was, you'd give it to him. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't give it to some unnamed, unknown son when you have this guy over here. Mm -hmm. So it makes the most sense. So I'll stop my rambling on the history stuff, right. but I believe... I believe Joseph was in Hotel. Like, yeah. I'm completely convinced. And how ironic is it that the Pharaoh, what was the Pharaoh's name? Joser? Joser, yeah. Okay. And, like, shorten that, and it's Joe. Joe. Mm-hmm. Joseph shortened is Joe. Yeah, this is perfect. So, yeah. Like I said, and you know, another, you know, and it's something I haven't really studied out too much. One of the mysteries of, of Joseph and later the Exodus, we know exactly how long it was until the Exodus occurred. Mm-hmm. One of the great mysteries is what dynasty did that occur in. If Imhotep is Joseph, we know exactly when he served. It was, you know, under Pharaoh Djoser in the third dynasty. You just add 400, was it 400 years later? Yeah, yeah I think so. You just add the number, the, the number of years and you come to exactly when the Exodus would have occurred. I haven't done study on that to see when that would take us, but that should tell you what Pharaoh was ruling at the time that Moses would have confirmed, because we're not really told. In the biblical account, he's not really named, right. right? Or at least not, I don't think he's named. If he is, we don't have his ancient Egyptian name, so we wouldn't know the direct correlation. But since we know that Joseph was Imhotep, we could figure that out. Maybe I'll do some research on yeah. that, and in the intro and next episode, I'll see, mm -hmm. if, I, see if I have anything, because I think that would be interesting. That would because be it interesting. Might, it might readjust, you know, the timeline that we typically use on, on when that occurred related to ancient kingdoms. Mm -hmm. And you know, for a lot of you out there, that might not be too earth shattering. It is for me. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I just like to know stuff. Yeah. yeah. Right. Were you going to say something? No, I'm just, I'm fascinated. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm, well. I'm learning today. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all I have on the history stuff, but obviously the most important is the, his, the biblical mm -hmm. narrative, right? 
what we're going to look at it, what we're going to look at is Genesis 37. And that's what we referenced earlier, the dream that his brothers were angry about and the result. And as always, like my focus is on his foreshadowing of Jesus. That's what interests me the most about the biblical account. But whatever you guys want to discuss, we can discuss anything you have that you wanted to focus in on. Rabbit chases are always welcome here. So if you interrupt me while I'm reading this, that would be perfectly fine. And we can discuss as we go. So the first thing, let me turn to it. When I turn to it, I mean poke my phone until I get to it. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just going to start at verse 1 in chapter 37 and get through the dream and we'll discuss that and then move on to the next part. It says this, Now Jacob dwelled in the land where his father had sojourned, in the land of Canaan. These are the genealogies of Jacob. When Joseph was 17 years old, he was a youth. He was shepherding the flurks with his, the, the flurks? Why did I say that? The flocks. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a translation here. That's a mere. He was shepherding the flocks with his brothers, with the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And just stopping there, that's where it, you know, that's yeah. where, I, I mentioned that. I thought that's what it said. He was absolutely, he wasn't just one of the favorites. Like he clearly and actionably favored him over the others. And do you think it's because Rachel's the one that he loved? I lean toward that, yes. Like the other ones, not happenstance, but he loved her the most Mm -hmm. so well you know and obviously we're not reading that part but he he labored a long time to earn the right to marry rachel Mm -hmm. he loved rachel dearly the account makes it clear he loved her from the time he set eyes on her Mm -hmm. and he went to her uncle laban to work to earn the right to marry her Mm -hmm. and laban tricks him and sends in leah rachel's sister the, the night that he's supposed to Rachel, the night that he's supposed to marry Rachel, and it's dark, and I think he's drunk, if I remember right. Yeah. And so he consummates a marriage with Leah, which is binding, right? Mm-hmm. And then Laban tells him, well, if you work another seven years, and I'll let you marry Rachel. And instead of saying, nah, dirtbag, <laughs> you're going right. to let me marry Rachel, because right. this was a trick, Jacob does the honorable thing, and he works another step. So it was 14 years total right. that he labored just to earn the right to finally marry Rachel. He loved her dearly. Yeah. You know, if, if it was, if this was fake, he would have walked away long before he got through all that. But I, th- I think, I think he kind of resented Leah for yeah. what had happened, even though it was Laban that did it. I think he lived the rest of his life really resenting her. I really, I really empathize with Leah and the account a lot. I think what she went through was terrible, you know, mm-hmm. stuck in a marriage that where she wasn't wanted, mm-hmm. you know, treated like she wasn't needed. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine what the the household dynamics of that were like. Right for her. And of course, God sympathized with her too, because he lets her have children and he closes Rachel's womb. Like he lets Leah have children because he sees how miserable she is and how mistreated she is. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to give you something to hold on to. So he lets her have children. And then you have this like child war (laughs) in the house where they're like battling with each other with like throwing handmaids at Jacob to have sex with them and have kids with them to, to see who can throw more errors at him. Mm -hmm. It was awful like the whole circumstance, but then Rachel finally has children, and the first one she has is Joseph. And yes, I think, you know, when you look at the full dynamic of everything that was going on there, I believe that that's largely why he favored Joseph, 
was because it took so long to finally have him. I don't think it's just, it says that he was the son of his old age. Yeah. yeah so yeah. was Benjamin though. Yeah. I, I think, I think he, he waited so long to have a child with Rachel, the wife he really loved. Right. That he favored him. Right. Yeah. Which isn't good. It's like saving up for whatever thing that you want and then you finally get it. Right. And then you cherish it. Yeah. It it wasn't good. Like that whole situation all around, it was bad. Okay, continuing on. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak to him in peace. Then Joseph dreamed a dream and told his brothers, and they hated him even more. He said to them, Please listen to this dream I dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the middle of the field. All of a sudden my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. That was him. the end of his quote. I'll, I'll pause there. I would say you started a little bit after that. You said that he had been born to him in old age, but you left out the part that had made him an ornamented robe. Oh yeah, so that's the, the that, was, that, was, that was my yeah. fault. That, yeah, that was kind of. Yeah. The, but I we'll just want, that was another like <laughs> one way that he like physically singled him out as the favorite as he gave him that ornamental robe. Yes, because it comes into play later. Yeah, yeah. that robe. Is. You're right. Yeah, and it's yeah. colors. Right. It's bright colors. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I've done a little bit of a word set. I think that's one of those those words that's difficult to translate from the Hebrew, what it actually means there. But the the implication of the robe is that it's special. You know, whether it's translated to ornamented, some translations say coat of many colors. Um, regardless of what it was or what that translation means, it was special. And it was something that he, he was lavishing on Joseph and not on his other brothers. Right. And that's correct. It's really not even, it's not so like some people like agonize over what the robe was. The, the bigger implication is what it represents. Yeah. And what it represents right. is yeah. the father's love yeah. that the other brothers craved and weren't getting. Right. Mm-hmm. But Joseph was. Right. And, you know, obviously the lesson there is against favoritism. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a huge lesson here about proper fatherhood. Like how to treat your children, how God doesn't treat us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we see that favoritism here. We don't see that from the Father in heaven. Right. Thank goodness. Okay, then his brothers respond, Will you truly be a king over us? His brothers said to him, Will you really rule over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and because of his words. But then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers, saying, I have just dreamed another dream. Suddenly, there was the sun and the moon and the eleven stars bowing down to me. He told it to his father as well as his brothers. Then his father rebuked him and said to him, What's this dream you dreamed? Will we really come, come, your mother and I, with your brothers to bow down to the ground to you? So, let me interrupt you right there. That's where I was going to stop anyway, actually, for this part. So, not only does he tell them the dream before and see how physically upset they are mm-hmm. and mad they get but wait there's more yeah i'm gonna tell you another one yeah yeah that's gonna yeah. make you even twice as mad mm-hmm. and then of course his father and mother are included in this one mm-hmm. in the foolishness of his youth i think that's yeah. how we can i think that it's fair to interpret this as the, as the foolishness of 17 year old joseph here he's being a bit boastful mm-hmm Mm-hmm. All right, he's not being humble. He's not understanding where his brothers are coming from. He's kind of boasting about it. Oh yeah, because you know, I, biblically we know why God gave him two dreams as two witnesses. Mm-hmm. You know, he was reaffirming, yes, this was from me, mm-hmm. and this will come to pass. This will happen. He didn't need to brag about it. 
yeah. you know, realistically, he could have just gone to his father about it right. one-on-one and, and asked him for counsel on it. That but it was seem more to be of the, hey, uh, you guys know that I'm the favorite. Well, God knows I'm the favorite, too. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of how I take that, too. Which, side note, just shows that God can use anyone for yeah. his purposes, right? You know, we, we see repeatedly throughout the biblical narrative of God taking somebody who, in their early days, they weren't so great, and molds them to something much better mm-hmm. in their later days, sort of like what we saw last week with, you know, I created you, Jacob, but I formed you as Israel. Right. You know, I took something that wasn't so great, and I made it awesome. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that's probably the what same, we see with Joseph Same here, here and like with Samson, too, because Samson was anointed that in the womb. Mm-hmm. As to where he already sees Joseph, he just has to get refined. Yes. And refined and refined. And even at the end of this account, he gets refined one more time. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of take a little bit different view. Like, I don't think he was necessarily like willfully boasting. I think he was just ignorant of his position. Ignorant and excited about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know, like my dad, you know, I'm the youngest, but you know, my dad's giving me all this cool stuff, you know, and kind of, and, and, and the reason that I say that is because we'll get into it here in a little bit, but I just think he was like not willfully boasting, but just kind of ignorant of others' positions and others' feelings towards him. Yeah, I think that's a fair opinion to take. Yeah. Like I said, yeah. we're not told we're not told explicitly this is opinion. Like, right. But yeah, I think that's fair. He's only seventeen years old. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's I mean? just young. He's like, Hey, I'm I'm having these dreams, you know. You guys are going to bound are bound to go and I'm kind of excited about it. And yeah. And and the and the only reason and the only reason I say that now is because here later on, as we come, as we'll read, his father sends him out to find his brothers. If he was like, if he knew how they felt about him, he that, wouldn't have went. That he'd have been like, there ain't no way I'm going out there by myself mm-hmm. with them. Yeah. Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> they hate me. I'm not going out there. I'm staying Good right point. here where I'm safe with dad. You know? So that's the only reason I kind of said like, maybe he was kind of ignorant of it yeah which isn't a lesson of itself you know don't be kind of don't be preachy to the people that i mean don't be sh- presumptuous share the share the word but don't be boastful about it yeah right? yeah. yeah not being presumptuous would be yeah. would be a good way to put that i think yeah, like, you know, like you like you wouldn't have went like take take for example you last week you didn't go to philadelphia and be like hey you know my life's so great i got a giant house it's right. warm in the winter time yeah. cold in the summertime i got plenty of food Here's some toothpaste. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you yeah, wouldn't exactly. you wouldn't have had that heart, right? And I think that's kind of where his heart was. But again, it's not in a good place, but I don't think he was like being yeah. like And you mean ignorant as in knowledge wise. Yeah, yeah. Not like right, life yeah. life knowledge life type knowledge. ignorance. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Let me and, add another layer to go ahead. No, you no, go I first. was gonna say and like on the flip side, like when Carl came back, it was like well, it wasn't plastered all over Facebook of your accounts of going there. Right. Mm-hmm. Like so say, taking selfies with part, people. And, right. Yeah. yeah, you weren't giving things to homeless people and then making TikToks about it. Right. Which is, it gets underneath my crawl. Like, yeah. the mm-hmm. last thing they want is a camera stuck in their face and you giving them a couple dollars. You know what I mean? Right. But, yeah, like even like the only video I took was just like we like I put the phone up to the to the side the side window and we drove through and that was just so if if anyone here wanted me to share with their assembly I could show them mm-hmm. you know right. like this is what it looks like down there right. the reason I mentioned that is I see other videos of Kensington just to add to your point 
where they they do these drive through videos, but they're turning the camera and they're like zooming in on people and sitting there and just like staring at them filming. And you can see like when the people look at the camera and they know they're being filmed and they get real uncomfortable and you can tell they're embarrassed and you can tell they're humiliated. I cringe. Yeah, I cringe at that. Yeah, the, you know, the last thing, you know, you can claim you're helping them all you want by bringing attention, but there's no reason to debase and humiliate them at their yeah. absolute worst. I don't like that. Yeah. Especially when it's on a YouTube channel where they're clearly, they're doing trying it to get, for likes and subscribes and yeah. it's got ads yeah. on it. Right. So they're getting ad revenue. I don't know. Yeah. That doesn't sit right in my spirit. I don't yeah. like it. Yeah. I'll just, add, I, I want to add another layer to what you mentioned to argue with myself in agreement with you. Frequently we see in scripture and even in the Joseph account of one person dreams a dream, they don't know what it means, but the person they tell the dream to gets the interpretation, right? Yeah. So that's what happens with the cupbearer and the baker and the, and Pharaoh. They didn't understand the dream. We're not really told that Joseph knew what his dream meant. What if he had this dream and he's just kind of confused by it and he's sharing it with his brother and his father and his mother and they understand what it means because they're given the interpretation of it and they're mad about the interpretation of it, and he told them totally clueless about the implications of it, right? And that would kind of verify, yeah. like, maybe your opinion that maybe he's just telling them, he's like, hey, I had this dream from God. I think it was from God. I don't know what it means. Let me tell you about it. And then they're like, oh, that's what it means, you scumbag. <laughs> you right. I mean? Yeah. Like, like, they kind of say, like, do you intend to reign over us? Like, mm -hmm. do you yeah. not? do you mm -hmm. not see, like, the foreshadowing? Like, that's kind of their attitude, like, did you really just say that out loud? Like, right. Do you not see what that means? Like, yeah, it's that's kind of where I'm like I'm coming from. It's just, like I said, I think it's it's just kind of ignorance to the world and 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 how he's perceived versus like being like I'm I'm the greatest, you know, like yeah, like got, a spoiled brat. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. As far as the dream itself, we obviously know the the implications of it for Joseph was that he was going to rise you know, to, mm -hmm. to power in Egypt and that they would have to come to him as his servants, mm -hmm. right? And that's literally what happened. But it's there's deeper implications here, and it's, to me, very clearly a foreshadowing of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Like, the, the whole Joseph account is a foreshadowing of Jesus. He comes, he, he comes down in the flesh, debases himself, humbles himself with us. He's killed, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then he's going to come back, risen to the right hand of power. It's exactly what happened with Joseph. Right, he's thrown down by his brethren. He's thrown into a pit. He's elevated into into servitude, and then he elevates up to the right hand of power. Mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it's the exact thing. Correlation. I find it interesting that Joseph, his dream specifically, is he rises up out of his, uh, from among his brethren. Right. It's essentially what we have here. We have Joseph being among his brothers, and he rises up above his brothers, and his brothers bow down. Let me read a prophecy about Jesus from Deuteronomy chapter 18, just briefly. It's chapter 18, verses 18 through 19. And it says this, I will raise up, this is Yahweh talking to Moses, I will raise up a prophet like you for them from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them all that I command him. Now whoever does not listen to my words that this prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. This is Jesus. It's a prophecy of Jesus. And he's literally prophesying that he'll rise up from among his brothers. And we go, Jesus is the son of God, right? He's deity, but he was born from among the brothers, mm -hmm. right? This is exactly what Joseph's dream indicates, is that he will rise up from, his, from among his own brothers to elevate to, a, to the right hand of power, 
to rescue all of us. And what I, you know, the, the added implication I find fascinating is he didn't just rescue his blood brothers and their, their specific servants from Canaan. He rescued the whole world. So this famine touched the entire known world at the time. And Joseph's position in power and his, his handling of the situation, his mercy, it rescued everybody. And that's exactly what we see with Jesus. He rises up from among his brothers, right? Mm-hmm. From among mm-hmm. Judah. Mm-hmm. But his salvation rescues all of us. Right. We're, all, we're, all, we're all subject to a spiritual famine, right? On account of our sin, not just the Jews. And he rises up to rescue all of us from that famine. It's an awesome correlation, I think. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's pretty powerful foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. The next part is his sale. That's what we're going to talk about next. So starting in verse 12, and it says this, Then his brothers went to graze their father's flocks at Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, Aren't your brothers grazing the flocks in Shechem? Come, let me send you to them. Here I am, he said to him. Then he said to him, Go now and check on the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flocks and bring word back to me. So he sent Joseph from the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. A man found him there wandering in the field, and the man asked him, What are you looking for? I'm looking for my brothers, he said. Please tell me where they're grazing. The man said, They moved on from here, for I heard them saying, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now they saw him from a distance. Before he was close to them, they plotted together against him in order to kill him. They said to... Can can I stop you there? Yes, stop me anywhere. So (laughs) I think sometimes when when we read the Bible, we kind of go on autopilot, right? Mm -hmm. Like we just kind of read it. Mm -hmm. There is like hard malice in that verse. Yeah. They saw him coming and plotted to kill him. Like there was already murder in their hearts before he even got to them. Yes. Like I think we kind of would just like read over that. We don't realize like... Like, like there's malice in the Bible, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I don't know. I just, cause, cause then, I mean, cause then we stack, you know, sin on sin on sin on sin over the next couple of, cha- over the next couple of verses. But it starts with in their hearts, they, they were plotting against them already. Yeah. And I think that like this verse leads me on the opposite side of you on the, on the opinion part of it. Like of him being boastful and bragful about being the favorite mm-hmm. because they're already plotting and everybody that has brothers and sisters know, of course, you might not like them at times, but there's other times that you do. But if they're always boastful and always bragging and always being the spilled brat, then that hatred grows and grows and grows. So then when you see them from a distance and you're already wanting to kill them then it feels like there had to be more to it, right? Yeah, right. It does feel like there had to be more to it. Now, it could have been like we don't know because it's not in between the lines of his ignorant knowledge of the world, and then that's why they hate them. So I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying for me, I lean more to that opinion because if someone's ignorant of knowledge wouldn't lead to the hate of murder for me, for me I would hope not. Right. As to where if somebody's always poking and prodding and telling you how good they are, how favored or however loved they are, then that comes to that breaking point of that. 
Yeah, and boastfulness it it only ever serves to push people away. And you know, I see I see a lot of that among you know certain faith groups today. Yeah, you know what I mean. They you know it's a, a lot of boastfulness on. Sorry, no, you're good on both sides of you know. I see it in the Torah crowd. I see it. I see it some in the church crowd. There's a lot of, of boastfulness about look at what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Look at my outward expressions. Mm-hmm. You know the posts on Facebook mm-hmm. about it. Like I mean to go yeah. back to that point. Like, well, and I think the warning for us here: we know that wickedness exists in the world, but I think we always think of it as non-believers, people outside of yeah, the camp, right? Those people over there. These were the because it's patriarchs. easier that way. It is. It's easier because we don't have to identify the threat that exists in our own heart. Mm-hmm. These are the great patriarchs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. These are the people that are going to have their names on the gates of the New Jerusalem. Right. And you know, this sort of malice overcame their heart mm-hmm. at this point. I think they overcame it later. You know what I mean? Right. But they were subject to it here and it wasn't good. Right. I think we always need to be kind of mindful that that's a beast that lurks within all of us. Yeah. And yeah. you know, we need to constantly strangle it down. Right. Oh, sorry. No, I was going to see if you had any thoughts. No, no, I no, I agree. I mean, it's it's. I said it. That you can't agree. We're on opposite sides no, of opinions well, here. I mean, no, I mean, <laughs> like I said, I think there's there could. I don't know. Maybe I spoke too soon. Maybe there's probably a little bit mixture of both. He is braggy, but well, it could like also, maybe doesn't realize the implications of his bragginess. Like right, he's just and maybe that's how they took it. Right. They took it as being bragful and boastful and whatever mm-hmm. as to where in all reality he might have been ignorant to how he was acting mm-hmm. yeah or i mean or maybe so that means we're both right right on. <laughs> yeah or maybe joseph had nothing to do with it and it, this was just the enemy doing what he does and and pushing the 11 brothers mm. or wait in this because it was 10 because benjamin wasn't a part mm-hmm. of this but pushing right. the 10 brothers into into evil thinking he's shipwrecking god's plan when really he's just Helping it along, mm-hmm. you know, you'd think you'd get tired of doing that. Flicking that first domino, uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd think that that would that would get real old to him. <laughs> he does it a lot. I don't know. Like I say, we're not really told. I'll continue on. Verse nineteen. They said to one another, "Here comes the master of dreams. Come on now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those pits, so we can say that an evil animal devoured him. Then let's see what becomes of his dreams." So, again, like I was saying. We we have it in our sorry to interrupt you. No, no, I'm glad you did. I was <laughs> no, I was gonna interrupt myself. No, as we you know, like I said, you know, we it was first in their hearts, which is one thing, and then it's another thing that they they even said it out loud. Mm-hmm. They they made a plan for it, yeah. and then as you as as we'll get into the next one, then they carried through that plan. So it's like sin leads to sin leads to yeah. sin, but it started with the the sin in the heart. Yeah. yeah. Shocker how it always goes to that. Yeah. And to stoke the fire between you guys, <laughs> I'll add too, the only thing they mentioned here that irritated them was the dreams. Like their 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 primary focal point here for their anger and animosity was they were so consumed by the dream that he had that it led them to this point. Almost like they were they were ruminating on it mm-hmm. ever since they heard him say it. And it just infuriated them. Yeah. So well, I don't know. That's not hard evidence either way, no. to be honest. No. Because yeah. it could take it for, like I said, them being angry about it, thinking that he's being boastful, and mm-hmm. Joseph innocently doesn't know that he's being boastful about right. it. Right, right. 
Or yeah. he's being boastful about it, and they're like, yep, we're going to kill him. And that yeah. boast is the focal point. Yeah, yeah. it could be either. I think the tip of the iceberg, like, the, our, what I guess started the, the snowball down the hill was the was the coat. Because he was given mm-hmm. the coat, and then in, in chapter 4 right after it says, his brother saw that their father loved them more than any of them, and they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So that kind of started the started, started the, the rock mm-hmm. slide, and then right behind it, here comes these dreams that now he's he's singled me out as loved, and now you're all going to bow down to me. Mm-hmm. I think it just kind of see you're making my point for me. I mean, <laughs> but what I'm saying though is like, was he was he doing that? Like, was he willfully right? Yeah, you know, I know what you're poking the beast, or was he just being like, oh, you know, I'm willfully poking the bear, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, let's be real, though. If it hadn't been for Jacob's favoritism, his obvious actionable favoritism of Joseph, none of this would have been an issue. Right. If if Jacob had treated them all equitably and loved them all equally like any father should, this never would have happened. Right. This was a result of, of Jacob's mistakes as a father. Mm-hmm. 100%. So, you know, regardless of Joseph's behavior and attitude or his boastfulness or, or anything else, the, the, the major underlying issue was a failure in fatherhood. Yeah, he could have very easily said, you know, corrected it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, you never want to say out loud to to any of your kids if you have multiples. And you're my favorite, and for right. all the other ones, but right. yeah, it's essentially that's what happened here. Yeah. yeah. So, continuing in verse twenty one, but Reuben heard and rescued him out of their hands, saying, "We must not beat him to death." In order to rescue him from their hand and to return him to his father, Reuben said to them, "Don't shed blood." Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. So we he, we see here that Reuben's Reuben's plan was to rescue him entirely. Like he wasn't part of this this plot to sell him. He wanted to get him back to Jacob. Continuing verse twenty three. So as soon as Joseph came up to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the long sleeve tunic that he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty with no water in it. Then they sat down to eat bread. When they looked up. Behold, there was a, a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels carrying gum, balsam, and myrrh going to bring them down to Egypt. Stop there for just a second. I think what really like hurts my heart in this is how cavalier they were about this. Exactly. Yeah. They're just, I can only imagine that he's, that he's in that cistern crying out to him. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm, I, you know, maybe a broken bone or I'm bleeding or I'm, I'm scared. I'm cold. And they're just past the salt, man. Yeah. You know, yeah. Where's my sandwich? Yeah. Yeah. The fact that they can have this plan and be moving toward fruition of the plan and just eat, you know, just have a meal. Like it's, it's no big deal. That really bothers me. I think to to add to that too, is like they had already in their minds accounted him for dead. Mm -hmm. I mean, if Ruben hadn't said what he said, they would have, they would have beat him to death. Yeah. They were, they were in the act of doing it. And they and Reuben stopped them to to like in Reuben's mind, he was trying to rescue them. But in there to everybody else, he's like, well, let's let's ha- let's eat first and then we'll then we'll take care of this, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, like and that's where I was saying where, you know, it start started with the heart condition. Then it went to they said it out loud. And then it went into an actual plan, and they were carrying that plan out. Yeah, they were on the cusp of carrying it out. Yeah. All right, restarting in verse 26. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? 
Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's not lay our hand on him, since he's our brother, our own flesh. His brothers listened to him. When some men, Midianite merchants, passed by, they dragged Joseph up and out of the pit, and they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. Then he returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where should I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, slaughtered a billy goat, and they dipped the tunic into the blood. Then they sent the long-sleeved tunic, and it was brought to their father, and they said, We found this. Do you recognize whether or not it is your son's tunic? He did recognize it and said, My son's tunic, an evil animal has devoured him. Joseph must be torn in pieces. That's where I'm going to stop. So, so they just... Yeah, I'm going to... So 20 shekels mm-hmm. today is $6.31. Wow. I'd never done the conversion on that. Yeah. That was the only notes that I have, so... Right. Because <laughs> I wanted to see wow. what it was like. Like, was it a, a lot? I mean, obviously, $6.31 back then probably was a lot. Oh, I was going to ask, was that adjusted for... A, it sounds really weird, but adjusted for, for inflation. Because after, I mean, if if it was, then at the Look, time it might have only been like three thirty six cents. Yes, yeah, it's six dollars and thirty one cents today. Okay. So yes, there's inflation in there. So it's even less back then. Wow. Wow, that adds more, uh, right? Yeah, because they got next to nothing. Yeah. And they just wanted them gone. Yeah, not that it would make it okay if they made a fortune off the kid, but my right. goodness. Just to just for just to get rid of them. Yeah, right. man. Yeah, I never even would have thought of converting that over. Wow, unreal. And it's twenty shekels again, right? Yeah, like we see that in the Bible over mm-hmm. and over mm-hmm. and over. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on anything on that passage, Chris? Um, no, I I don't know why this why this is funny or not, I shouldn't say funny why it pops out to me like that it was and and. and in the version, in, in my version, which is, I believe, yeah, the New International Version, they called it back when he was first given the robe or tunic, a richly ornamented robe. But from there on, it's called tunic, tunic, tunic in a couple mm-hmm. of different passages. But then isn't referred to again um, as the ornamental as the ornamental robe um, until it's taken back to his father. I don't I don't know the significance of that, but I can't imagine that there's not a significance that they the first the first thing that came the first recollection of the robe was was they were calling it out as an ornamental robe. But from there it's oh they took uh-huh. his tunic off. They took his tunic off. But then it, like again, I don't know why that I don't know I yeah. can't put that out there as why is that significant. But right. I don't know why they would translate it as tunic. Like I don't know how it is translated in yours, but I thought mine was long sleeved, a long sleeved tunic. tunic. But again, that right. that Hebrew phrase is a little difficult, so I don't, I don't think anybody really knows what it what it really should directly translate as. Right. That's the only research I've ever done on that phrase. I don't know anything about the significance of it or anything like that. Just that it's a difficult phrase to, to right. translate. The, so I mean, in in the side notes of of my study Bible here, it says like you said, it it's the 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 closest translation they could find was the meaning. The meaning of the Hebrew word was a richly ornamented is uncertain, but it also shows up in verses 23 and 32. So but that's why I was I found it weird that it was tunic 
and there was others, but then it was highly ornamental robe mm-hmm. I think, at the beginning and the end. So both times that it's an ornamental robe was with his father, mm-hmm. but with his brothers, it was just a reminder. So then it was just oh, a right. tunic. That's a good point. That's, that's how, that's look how that, I yeah. look. That's right. how I looked at it. Cause I noticed that when in the devotional that I did that brought this episode up. So I was like, okay, why? And then, it's just the reminder that it's more important and ornamental to the father than it is to the brothers. So then it was just an article of clothing. They want to strip him of everything and throw him in the pit. Mm-hmm. The only the only notes I had on that, obviously the the again the foreshadowing of Jesus through all this. You know what I mean? He rises up from among his brothers, and his brothers reject reject him. It's exactly what happened with. With Jesus, and you know, plus we point the finger at the Jews and blame everything on them. Romans and Greeks had an equal hand in, in killing him too. He was rejected by everybody, and 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 thrown into a proverbial pit, mm-hmm. right? So we have that foreshadowing there, but with the purchase price, right? You mentioned the twenty shekels. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeshua, Jesus, he was sold by Judas for thirty, mm-hmm. right? So we don't. We obviously there's a there's a connection here. Right, of with a twenty to thirty, but why not a, a direct connection? Right. Right. Why the thirty? I think there's two reasons for that. Like one of them I'm not gonna get into in this episode because I think it's a deeper implication. It's gonna take a few episodes to get into. But twenty shekels, w- Joseph was seventeen years old. At the time, I do know this, twenty shekels was the purchase price for an adolescent. Right? Mm-hmm. The purchase price for an adult male was fifty, not twenty, not thirty. Do you have any guess as to what the purchase price is of 30 shekels? Uh, a lamb? No. That's a good guess, though. Dang. An <laughs> adult female. Who did Jesus die to reconcile? Prophetically speaking, what are we? The bride. The bride. Think about that for a second. He wasn't sold for the purchase price of an adult male, which is what he was. He was sold for the purchase price of an adult female, the bride, which is what, prophetically speaking, we are. He was sold to pay the price that we owed to be purchased for him. That's awesome. There's another direct connection. I think it's in Exodus 22. It talks about the reconciliation or the redemption of a slave uh, is 30 shekels. In the in the Oreb covenant, and I'll dive into that on another episode because I think there's very deep implications there when it comes to the difference between being a slave of God and a son or daughter of God, and I think mm. that's the the deeper implication is in purchasing purchasing us from slavery to sonship, mm. right? And I just looked it up, but thirty shekels is nine dollars and fifty cents. It's a little bit better. Is it? No. No, it's not. <laughs> One is greater than the other. That's about, well, yeah, that's that's about, about it. it. Yeah. yeah. Math- mathologically, is that even a word? It is now speaking. But you sold out one of your best friends yeah. and your brothers. Right. For under 10 bucks now. But then again, if you actually look at it... um. Do we sell people out for less now? Mm. Less than that? No, I think we sell people out for our own pride. We get really nothing out of it. 
Yep. So I see it all the time. I've done it. <laughs> yeah. The next event, and that's where we'll close at, is the reconciliation, right? So mm-hmm. what we already discussed, the brothers coming back, and, and when they recognize who Joseph is, you know, I don't think we got that far when we were summarizing. But they embrace each other. They cry. They, they have this reunion. There's no animosity anymore. His brothers are relieved that he's alive. He's relieved to be back with them. Again, we see this massive foreshadowing of, of Jesus. He's rejected by the world, but when he comes back, it's, it's completely different. Now it's different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we're in love with him now. It's completely different. So we see this reconciliation process. The goal of all of it is reconciliation, right? And I'm going to read. Because for, it's that journey. Yeah. Yes. Like there was even right after they realized that they sold him, say, even a week after or a year after. I don't know if there would have been that kind of uh, reconciliation. Yes. I don't think you would have seen the emotion behind it. Because it wasn't, their heart wasn't right yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think. Maybe Rubens. Yeah. Maybe. And obviously Benjamin wasn't a part of it, so he was completely separate. Right. And and I think that's why he wanted to get Reuben, or I'm sorry, get Benjamin to Egypt to stay with him. Because in from Joseph's view, he was the only brother that was not a part of it at all. You know, he wasn't privy to Reuben trying to rescue him. Yeah. Right? And also, I think, like I said earlier, I think it was the older brother wanting to look out for the younger brother. Mm-hmm. Because all he had was the knowledge of how they treated him before. Yeah. So he's probably, you can only imagine how Benjamin's been treated all these years. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to read, and I'm going to read that up to you. It's, it's Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 5, because at the end of that, I think we have a takeaway for us as believers now that I want to, to close this out with. It says this, Now Joseph could no longer restrain himself in front of all those who were standing by him. So he cried out, Get everyone away from me. So no one stood with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. But he gave his voice to weeping so that the Egyptians heard and Pharaoh's household heard. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And his brothers were unable to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near me. So they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, the one you sold to Egypt, he said. So now don't be grieved and don't be angry in your own eyes that you sold me here, since it was for preserving life that God sent me here before you. For there has been two years of famine in the land, and there will be five more years yet with no plowing or harvesting. Actually, I'm going to stop there. I think it was later that I wanted to get into our our clothes. What I wanted to focus on there is he had to suffer to bring life. Mm-hmm. And that's the, you know, the, the the ultimate foreshadowing we have with Jesus here. He had to suffer so that we could live. Mm-hmm. He had to die so that we could live, right? But our like where I wanted to close out is later down in verse 24, it says, this is when he sends them out. So... In a prophetic timeline, if we're focusing on foreshadowing, right, this is after the reconciliation. This is after, if we're, if we're foreshadowing Jesus, this is after he's died, after he's risen, and when we've been sent out, right, as his followers on the Great Commission. And he says this to his brothers. Then he sent his brothers off, and as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. Man, if ever there was a message that believers right now need it's that all i see anymore is quarreling it's literally all i see whether it's about theological issues 
among Christians in the church, whether it's about people on the Torah campsite screaming heretic at people in the church or people in the church screaming cultist at people on that side. All we do is quarrel about everything anymore. And I'm so sick of it. I'm sick to death of it. And I can't imagine that he's not either. Right? Yeah. I'm not saying these issues don't matter. Right? I'm not saying that showing ourselves approved by study, by learning about him isn't important. But man, there's a right way and a wrong way to go about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just making the assumption that somebody isn't at the same place of revelation that you're at means that they're a pagan or a heretic or falling away. That is so ridiculous. You know, I think there's coming a day when we're going to get to him. And one of the first things he's going to do is show us all the ways that we were judgy toward those around us for not seeing things the way we saw them and then show us how wrong we were on how many things. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To make us very grateful that he doesn't approach us the same way that we approached others. We need to be careful about this. We really do, because we're all wrong on stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm finding out how wrong I've been on a lot of things. <laughs> Past week alone. Yeah. You know? Same. So we need to be cautious. We really do. I can't tell you how many times I've been guilty of thinking I was right about something and getting a kind of a brow-beady attitude about it and then finding out weeks, months, or years later that I was dead wrong on it. And if I could go back and tell younger me to just shut up and wait until you're a little bit more knowledgeable on that before you talk about oh, it. Oh, man. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. That would be a magic potion. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So that's my So what did you take away what do you this. think Joseph means here? For that, the brothers in yeah. that in that instance, not we're not talking prophetically there. Right. I think he was concerned that they were gonna start blaming each other playing the blame game i think so yeah well you're the one that said something first mm -hmm. i like joseph until you started running right. your mouth about him right you know reuben i wanted to rescue him you know right you know you know if 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 jude had gone home instead of me i could have rescued him you know what i mean right. i think that's what he was concerned yeah. with and I'm, i think it was a very realistic concern i'm in line with you there right you you want to disagree no. You want a fake disagreement? Just, <laughs> no, just make no. up a different I mean, opinion. I mean, I'm in agreement too, but I think maybe again that shows kind of how his heart's changed, where he where he saw what quarreling can do amongst brothers. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of mm -hmm. like going back to our early argument is, yeah, he was a brat, but did he did he realize he was a brat? Right. Or was he just doing things that he was you know at that time you know didn't really understand? Right. Right. Now he kind of sees, you know, hey, maybe if I had treated them better, or you know. Or maybe if our father had said, don't quarrel, this wouldn't have happened. Right. And I think it ties into the takeaway that I had with this, the finger pointing. Because we're so guilty of finger pointing, and I think that's what Joseph was worried about with them. That finger pointing was going to lead to to strife and maybe even conflict, maybe mm -hmm. even physical conflict. You know what I mean? And that, that's what I see within the, the body of believers. There's yep. so much finger pointing that it's leading to strife and division and hate. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're not we're not serving the kingdom like this. Right. There, there are a lot of issues that we could and should be able to agree to disagree on. There are very few issues, very few issues that really should be. Let's break fellowship issues. Right. When you look at examples set by Paul, people had to get pretty vile before he advocated for kicking them out of the assembly. And even then, it was with the hope that they would repent and come back in again. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like a permanent judging for the rest of their life type of thing. It was mm -hmm. if they come back in humility and tears saying, I'm sorry for this, bring them back in. But, you know, they had to get pretty bad. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about minor disagreements. He kind of warned us about these debates about genealogies and, 
and arguments over Torah and stuff like that that lead to that lead to all this conflict. There's no there's no good sense in it. Yeah. It doesn't lead to love. Yeah. It only ever Nothing I mean, good ever comes out of it anyway. No. Mm-hmm. It's all pride. Right. Let's be real. We always mask it. Anytime we engage in this, we always mask it as, well, I just love the Father so much that I'm trying to do things His way. Mm-hmm. But really by your behavior and by your fruit, you're really kind of showing that you're just prideful and you want to prove that you're better than other people. Yeah. Is really what you want to prove. Maybe if you, Ronnie, if your your opinion to Joseph is correct, and kind of my opinion to Joseph, not to single you out, Chris... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's all right. I mean, that's one of those things. No, like, I'm glad I mean, that you the, have a different opinion because yeah. it because you're it makes me right. looks at it look at it mm-hmm. yeah. a, a different, different way, different way. I yeah. mean, that's the only way we get to learn a different a different approach on something is by having somebody else look at it. And that's how we should approach these things, and how we should approach so many of these issues. Let's, let's is, learn together. Yes. Yeah. Let's sit here. Let's share our differing opinions, and then maybe we can learn to look at things differently. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or look at it in a different light as opposed to, you know what, get off the podcast, Chris. Right. Yeah. Right. You know what like, I mean? You can get up and get out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's not a kingdom right. changing issue. So yes. and, why and I, make it? Right. I will say this too that maybe there's a little bit of underlying saving grace for the youngest child, because I am. I don't know. I don't know when you're the oldest one. If you're the oldest, <laughs> I'm know. the only. Yeah. So I'm the youngest. So I was like, the favorite. Yeah. Well, I was. <laughs> you were the favorite by I default. Was, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm told by my brothers that I mean it was obvious I was I was mom's favorite. You know, I was the youngest. I was the baby. Um. Um. There's quite a generation gap between me and my little brother, so it was always kind of a. A joke where oh you're the favorite you get away with everything like, yeah my brother my oldest brother you get away with everything I don't understand it you know and so maybe there was a little bit of saving grace for myself like oh, I probably was a brat but I always say that I, was I always say that for my sister and my sister was the youngest and I know that she was the favorite but that was because I blazed the trail for her to not do anything as bad as I did so yeah right. well I was just gonna say like regardless of which opinion we have on that. The, the takeaway for us in, in connection with this don't quarrel thing is really the issue was the desire to be the favorite. Whether, whether Joseph was bragging about it or whether the brothers were just overreacting, somebody somewhere wanted to be the favorite. They wanted mm-hmm. to feel like they were better than their peers. And that's it's the same issue I see among believers. It's, it's not really about loving the father more, but it's more about you wanting to be the favorite. Mm-hmm. You want to be his favorite. And he doesn't play favorites. He's clear. He does not play favorites. He doesn't play that game with you or me or anybody else. Right? There is nothing. It's one of the devotionals that I read recently. And it was cool how it came up because it was another confirmation. But he, the only thing special about you was that he saved you. And yep. he offers that to every single one of us. We mm-hmm. were saved for good works, yes, but they don't separate between you and your brethren. I think he does that on purpose so that you don't have that bragging right. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't. You shouldn't feel like you have a bragging right. I just, we did, we need to be cautious and we need to be humble and we need to be able yeah. to admit when we might be in error and remain teachable. Pride won't allow that. Yeah. Pride will not allow you to remain teachable. It'll entrench you in your view. You'll commit yourself you, by pointing the fingers at others and convincing yourself you're better. You'll be entrenched and then you'll feel committed to that view. Mm-hmm. And then the risk is even if the spirit comes and tells you, Hey, you've been wrong for a few years, you need to adjust you may not be willing to because you've committed yourself so wholeheartedly to your quote right position that now you would look bad if you relented from it. It's yep. a dangerous place to be. Yep. And I see it on both sides. 
When I say both sides, I'm talking about the sides I've walked. Mm-hmm. Right? I've walked I've walked the far left church side. I've walked the the far right. We have to obey everything in the Torah side. And I see the same flaws in each, a lot of pride. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think the truth is in the middle. The truth is in that Exodus 20 through 23 covenant of love as sons and daughters, right? Yeah. And if we were all walking in that covenant as he laid out very simply, how to properly love him, how to properly love your neighbor, give some some practical examples on what that should look like. If we were all walking that, this wouldn't be an issue. We wouldn't be quarreling with one another, hating one another, but we're not. We need to get back there. That's my takeaway. If you guys, you guys have any final thoughts? Sums it up for me. No, that's good. <laughs> Short and sweet. Yeah. Um, my final thought would be quit looking at it as God's punishment and more of God's correction. Yes. Because I know there's been plenty of time that I've been on both sides of that as to where, why are you punishing me? Mm-hmm. And then now of the correction part. Yes. And you know I'm going through that season right now like we've talked about before we hit the record button mm-hmm. so it's more of a inward outward feel about it yeah and we'll get I'll get deeper into it when I'm ready for us to dive into that that series on the difference between a slave covenant and a son and a son covenant but I think I think what you're talking about it fits in with it really well because you punish a slave but you discipline a son or mm-hmm. a daughter. There is a difference. On the outside, it may look similar at times. And feel similar. And feel similar, yeah. May even be identical, but the purpose is always different. Yeah. Right? The purpose is different. And we need to we need to understand that he does approach us as a father and that will that will involve discipline. Yeah. Agreed. Come on, you gotta have something now. All right. All right. So I think it's important to remember not to let pride make you believe that your perception of something is the right one. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, if 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 Joseph's perception would have been different, if his brother's perception of Joseph of Joseph getting or having the dreams would have been different, this the story could have had a I, I don't well, I don't think the story would have been different. I think it would have had a better beginning. I agree. Yeah. I think God tends to have multiple roads that he can take to to get his yeah. will done. I think, yeah, I think with, with Joseph having the dream of of his brothers bowing down to him, at some point that was going to happen because that, was, that wasn't Joseph's. It was Joseph's dream from God. Yeah, it was God's it, plan. It was God's plan, yeah. right? So it was going to happen, but the road there would have looked different. Yep. And possibly even a little bit better. Yep. All right, well, I'm just going to leave us with 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 through 26, because I think it fits well with that, that closing thought that I had. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord keep away from unrighteousness. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for common use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful desires. Instead, pursue righteousness, faithfulness, love, and peace 
with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's slave must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, tolerant. Let him give guidance with humility to those who are in opposition. Perhaps God may grant them a change of mind, leading to the knowledge of truth. Then they may regain their senses and escape the devil's snare. Thank you so much for joining us. Next week, Ronnie won't be here. You're going to be here next week? Yeah. I thought it was. I thought you had to go back to work next week. I'm off for Mondays. Oh, well, everybody celebrate. Ryan's going to be back next week. <laughs> Jeez, trying to cast him off. I mean, I, <laughs> no, early. I, no, I, I don't I have had to show up. Wrong. Take a vacation, man. <laughs> well, I was going to go from like sad music and crying to, I guess, cheering and celebration. Yay. So that's good. So I don't know what we're going to talk about next week, but that'll be fun. So <laughs> that ruined my outro. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry to ruin your fun. Oh, yeah, my whole outro. I don't even know what to say now. Uh, so just stretch the music out. Yeah, I'll right. probably have to do that. <laughs> If any of you have, those of you listening, have any feedback, any questions, any ideas for topics that you'd like us to cover, or or if you have, like, quick questions to answer, we can add a segment at the end to answer questions or anything like that. Find us on Facebook. That's the easiest way to reach out to us. We have a group there. It's called the Philly, That Philly Faith Fellowship. Just search that in the search bar and join there. It's an open group. You can either post openly or you can send me a private message. My name's Carl Mefford. You can send Chris Pikey a message. Have any questions? Anything? I don't. I don't care what it is. You know, criticize us. That's fine too. <laughs> if it's a good criticism, we we may do something about it. If not, then we'll just say thank you and move on. All right. Boing. I just hit the mic. That's just, no man. <laughs> First time. <laughs> also, I've been on the Broken Record Ministries podcast for the past few weeks, and until Ronnie kicks me off, I'm going to stay on there probably. So, be sure and add that to your playlist because that's been a lot of fun. We're doing our Q and A episode tonight, and that'll be up. By the time you listen to this, that'll have already been up for a couple days. So, so check that out. And if you have questions for them or any feedback for them, be sure and find their Facebook group. It's mm-hmm. a group, right? Broken mm-hmm. Record Ministries mm-hmm. on Facebook. It's good stuff. Good content. I'm excited for that show. Really <laughs> it's going to be a good one. I'm excited to report it. But I thank you so much for listening. Pray this has been a blessing to you. As always, keep your feet steady upon the path. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and pursue that Philly faith. Until next time, shalom. God bless. We'll talk to you next week. (laughs) I don't have any. No, no, you're good. That's good. That works. Singing glory.